We're going to begin the reading in verse 3 and then read down through verse 6. We'll do it responsively. So we'll read verses 4 and 6 together out loud. I'll read verses 3 and 5 alone. The Bible says, beginning in verse 3, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Together, verse 4, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Caramelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This morning I want to bring a sermon to you entitled this, Leaving Discouragement Behind. Leaving Discouragement Behind. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your book that's filled with so many rich stories. Lord, illustrations that help us to see, uh, Lord, how people responded to adversity in their life. Some handled it the right way. Some handled it the wrong way. But Lord, we have their lives to look at. And Lord, I pray that the old statement that uh, those that, uh, the one thing that's not learned from history is that we don't learn from history. I pray that wouldn't be the case with us. May we look at your word. Lord, may we learn from the history of the Bible. May we see exactly what it is that you have for us today to be able to kick discouragement and get rid of it, to ditch it, to leave it behind. I pray today the sermon would lift up many hearts and Lord, put us on a path, uh, Lord, uh, to a place that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Many years ago, a young Midwestern lawyer suffered such great depression that his friends thought it wise to take away all knives and razors from his uh, immediate reach. During this time, this lawyer wrote, he said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. Well, this lawyer was wrong about his assessment of himself in this valley. He did recover, and this man went on to become one of America's most loved presidents. His name is Abraham Lincoln. We all think back on the presidency and life of Abe Lincoln as a great success, but Lincoln was like most successful people. There was a whole lot of failing, a whole lot of failure that went on before his success ever came. In fact, in 1831, he lost his job. In 1832, he was defeated in a run for the Illinois state legislator. In 1833, he tried and failed in business. In 1834, uh, a, a success here, he was elected uh, to the Illinois State Legislator. But then in 1835, his sweetheart died. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated and run for the Illinois House Speaker. In 1843, he was defeated and run for nomination for U.S. Congress. In 1846, he had a success, he was elected to Congress. But then two years later, in 1848, he lost renomination. 1849, he was rejected for land office position, officer position in 1854. He was defeated in the run for U.S. Senate. In 1856, he was defeated in run for nomination for vice president. In 1858, again, he was defeated in run for the U.S. Senate. And then in 1860, he was elected president. Failure after failure after failure after failure. But Abraham Lincoln did something that all greatly successful people do. He turned his failures into an opportunity to fuel him 
to success. Let me say this morning that the quality of one's life is all about your attitude toward failure. Toward failure. Really, your quality of life has to do with managing failures and using them to bring about successes. Let me say this morning that discouragement is a natural sentiment that accompanies failure. Discouragement can and should be left behind. You should ditch discouragement in the dust. I believe that if Christians will learn to follow David's example and encourage themselves in the Lord, that great success will soon follow. Let me say this as well. I believe that if Christians decide to wallow around in self-pity and discouragement, that this will only lead you to a life of defeat. A life of defeat. This morning, I'd like for us to take this story out of the life of David. A low point, maybe the lowest of all points in the life of David. And see uh, where he suffered great defeat. And then look at four thoughts that will help us to learn how to leave discouragement behind. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, notice the violence that David faced. The violence David faced. You might remember back in uh, the story about the day that David was called out of the field uh, to come and meet with Samuel. You might remember that he was just a small shepherd boy with little to no personal responsibilities. In fact, his responsibilities involved uh, practicing target practice with his sling and his stone as he slung that up at a target. And maybe he sat under a tree and he learned to play the harp. David's responsibilities really involved taking care of and watching after those sheep. But there was a day where his older brother, one of his older brothers, came and called him out of the field. David, coming out of that field, walked into the house of his father, walked into his own house, and there the great prophet Samuel stood. Samuel, the greatest prophet that maybe Israel ever had. Samuel looks at, 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 at David as a boy and says, that's the one. You see, Samuel had come to anoint the next king of Israel. And, uh, and, and, and God had sent Samuel there to do that. So David gets down on his knees and Samuel takes a cruise of oil and pours it on David's head and lays his hands on David's head and prays a prayer of benediction over him so that he can be Israel's next king. You're talking about a mountaintop experience. I'm sure as David walked out and he headed back toward those little sheep that he had to watch, he thought to himself, how could this be? I'm such a small boy that lives in such an obscure part of Israel and I'm born to a dad that nobody really even knows. My dad doesn't have any notoriety and God has chosen me to be the next king. You might think, well, did he ride off in the sunset? Was it that easy for him? And the answer is no. You see, David would, a few years later, still as a teenage boy, head in to check on his brothers in battle and end up facing Goliath of Gath with nothing more than a stone and a sling. And he hit the stone, uh, he slung the stone into the head of the Philistine and knocked him flat and then chopped his head off and beat one of Israel's greatest enemies. David then would go back into obscurity for a little while. But then as he became an adult man, he was put in charge of Israel's army and leading them into war. He saw great success. Great success. 
that one, of the, one day came where he was leading, General David was leading the armies back into town after beating, up, beating in war one of the enemies of the Lord. And as he came back, the women stood in their windows in the streets and they cried and they sang, Saul had slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David was becoming popular and even more popular than King Saul. And oh, you know what happened next is the old jealousy bug began to bite King Saul. You see, even before all this had happened, Saul had done some things that had disqualified himself and his family from remaining king. And the clock was ticking down to the day that Saul would no longer be in charge of this great country. Saul knew that. And Saul kept his eye out for who would be his predecessor. And Saul eyeballed David, and Saul became very jealous of David. In fact, an evil spirit had rested on Saul. And so David came into the presence of Saul to play his harp. You see, there is a type of music that refutes and defeats a satanic spirit. It was a soft song. It was a song of the harp. And Saul looked up at David, and in jealousy he grabbed his... His, uh, he grabbed that weapon next to him and he slung it at David, that javelin. And David was quick on his foot and was able to get out and get away. Twice, Saul tried to kill David in that manner. Once he tried to deceive David, he said, David, if you'll go out and you'll defeat a hundred Philistines, and you'll bring back the evidence of it, I will let you marry my daughter. But the thing is, you've got to go alone. David did it. But the reason why Saul wanted him to do it was not so that he could be, uh, he, he could have him as a son-in-law. Saul really believed that David would die in the process and he wanted to see him dead. The day came where things got so bad between Saul and David that David had to take off running. He had to flee for his life. And 600 men took David's side. They left their careers behind and they took up David's defense and formed a little army around David. And Saul and the militia of Israel began to chase David around the wildernesses of Israel trying to catch him and defeat him. Letter A, we see Saul's rage. Look with me. Turn back in your Bibles just a couple of chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. Let's look at the first two verses. This is after Saul has tried multiple times to kill David. And David has been living and sleeping in caves and under rocks and under trees and in dales and in valleys. David's wore out at this point. The Bible says there in 1 Samuel 27, verses 1 and 2, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape in the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Notice where it says David went. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. King of Gath. The land of Goliath. So what does David do as he has this violence that's been warred against him by uh, his own king that he's been loyal to? Two times David had a chance to kill Saul. And both times David said, it's the Lord's anointed, I will not raise my hand against him. David still felt feared for his life as this violence raged against him. Letter B, we see David's relocation. 
David's relocation. Look down with me at verses 3 and 4 of 1 Samuel 27. The Bible says, And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even even David with his two wives. Uh, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Canaanitess, or rather the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. You're talking about a time where David is confused. You're talking about a time where David's disoriented. He has become a refugee here in Gath. He has become an outlaw in his own country. If they would have had post offices, David's picture would have hung front and center as the outlaw, the top ten wanted list of the country of Israel. David was hated. David was not wanted in his own land. And because of that, David and his 600 men had to gather together their belongings and their wives and their children's children and had to move into enemy territory because they felt safer in enemy territory than they did in their own country. Why was David discouraged? Well, we see here that there is just a perfect storm that's brewing. Letter C, we see the, the Amalekites robbery. Turn back in your Bibles over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'll fill you in on the story while you're turning back over there. David, while living in Gath, makes uh, uh, friends, becomes acquaintances with one of the generals, one of the military leaders there for the Philistine army. And they find out that the Philistines are going to go to war against the Israelites. And here you have David who had been on the other side as general of the, of the Israelites against the Philistines, had even killed their great uh, uh, Goliath, now is on the other side of the enemy line and is volunteering to take his 600 men and join alliance with the Philistines and go fight his own people. David leaves his wives, uh, David and his men leave their wives and children behind and go to join up in, uh, with an alliance. And when they get there, uh, a, a general higher up looks down at the man who is friends with David and said, What do you think you're doing? Don't you understand who this man is? He's an Israelite. This is David. The David that killed Goliath. You really want him fighting with us? He said, listen, what's going to happen is we're going to get in the heat of the battle and his heartstrings are going to start tugging on him and him and his 600 men are going to turn around and they're going to start fighting us from our side of the line. He said, take David and his men and send them home. And so this friend of David's comes to David and says, I'm sorry, but I know you traveled a long ways to be here to fight with us, but you got to go. you got to go. You can't be here. And so David heads home. Verse 1, we see what David came home to. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and, and there and, uh, taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons And their daughters were taken captive. David for years has been running for his life. A fugitive of the law. A law that he didn't even break. David has now had to move and live in a country that's hostile toward him and his people. David then comes home to this makeshift home. That little town he had set up for him and his 600 men and their wives and children. And finds that his wives, their wives and their children are gone. And not only are his wives and children gone, but his possessions are stolen and his, the rest of it is burned. Burned. 
David faced a lot of violence. Now, your violence might come in a different form. I don't think anybody here has had the president of our country trying to chase you down and hunt you down and kill you. I don't think anybody here is gone and had to live in a country that was hostile toward you. I don't think anybody here has had someone set fire to their house and then steal their wife or their children. But could it be that today you're sitting here and life has been violent toward you in its own way? It's brought you to the same place David was brought to. It's one thing when the enemy that we know is our enemy attacks us. It's another thing when that enemy, those attacks come from people who are supposed to be loyal and our friends. Number two, we see the vitriol David felt. You see, the attack was not just from the outside. The attack began to become on the inside. That word vitriol involves some sort of acidic uh, liquid that eats away at a surface. We see here the acid that was eating away at David as a man. Letter A, we see his men were discouraged. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 4. The Bible says, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. These men saw David as a great leader. They had given up their professional careers. Their professional careers to follow him. Over Dale, over hill and dale. They had given up everything. They had even given up being able to live in their own country and labeled as crooks and criminals themselves in order to defend David and fight for David because they believed in him so much. And David had led them away to battle. And then when they had come home, all of their things were gone. Their wives had been taken away. Their children were gone. And these big, strong, burly, strapping men broke down and they wept and they sobbed. And they cried until they had no more power to weep. You ever been there? Where you put on a strong front for everyone, but then you get into a private moment and you just weep so hard you can't control it? You're just discouraged because life has kicked you in the mouth? These men had lost their possessions. These men had lost their wealth. Most importantly, these men had lost their family, their families. Discouragement can come when expectations are just not met. We go through life and we have these expectations of what we hope to happen or what we expect to happen. And then when they're not met, and they're not met over a long period of time, discouragement begins to set in. We see his men were discouraged. Letter B, we see his heart was distressed. His heart was distressed. Look with me at verses 5 in the beginning of verse 6. The Bible says, And David's, we see it's personal for David, and David's two wives were taken captive. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Caramelite. And David was greatly distressed. Put yourself in the shoes of these men. You've given up everything to follow David. Because you believe in him. You believe he's going to be the next king like he says. You believe his account of Samuel. You follow him and you defend him against the king of Israel. You follow him into Gath. 
and away uh, from Israel. You set up shop and you live there with them. And then because you have followed him, now your wife and children are gone and everything you had has been taken and your house has been burned to the ground. Now put yourself in David's shoes. It's tough on those men that followed David, but now David not only has his problems to worry about, David has the problems of those men who are following him to worry about. David was broken on every level. But we see yet it gets worse. Talking about the vitriol, the vitriol, letter C, we see his life was in danger. Look back with me at verse 6. We see the verse unfold a little bit more. And David was greatly distressed. Notice the semicolon. Here's why. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. These men came home and found their city burned. They found their wives and children gone. They found their possessions taken. And each man buckled and crumbled in their state of fatigue and wept and wept sorely and sobbed until they could not cry anymore. David got alone and wept and grieved because he had let his men down, so he felt. He had, he had let his wives down, so he felt. And then as the men begin to get up, they go from grieving to being angry. And they begin to whisper amongst themselves, David needs to die. This is all David's fault. There was talks of taking him to the edge of town, putting him down in a pit, and stoning him to death. That process involves getting large boulders and rolling them down on top of someone and allowing those rocks to kill them. A very barbaric form of, of, uh, of uh, uh, corporal punishment, or rather capital punishment. Thankfully, we don't use that today. It was used in that day, and they were talking about doing that to David. David, are you discouraged? Yes, I'm discouraged. Why are you discouraged, David? Because I've been chased by the king of Israel for several years who's tried to kill me. Why are you discouraged, David? Because I've had to pick up my family and I've had to move into a country of people who I have labeled my enemies my whole life. Why are you discouraged, David? I'm discouraged because the Amalekites came and they took away my wives and they took away the wives of my men. Why are you discouraged, David? I'm discouraged because my men have lost everything and I hurt for my men. Why are you discouraged, David? Because my men are talking about killing me. Today I would look at you and I would say, why is it that you're discouraged? You see, we're either in a state of discouragement or we're not in a state of discouragement. But I tell you today that if you're on the mountaintop in life, get ready. Because on the other side of the mountaintop comes a valley. You'll be down there soon enough. You'll be down there soon enough. For those of you that are down there, let me ask you this. Why are you discouraged? Can I tell you today, that if you're there, what David did next turned everything around. And you can follow the same formula. Number, number one, we saw the violence David faced. Number two, we see the vitriol David felt. Number three, we see the virtues David showed. The virtues David showed. Look back with, at, with me at verse 6. And really, verse 6 is 
the theme verse here. It is the centric verse here because it contains the problem and it contains the pivot point that brought about the solution. It says there, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Notice this, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. While David was down, he chose not to stay down. What happened? Uh, what happens to you is not near as important as the story that you tell yourself about what happens to you. I'm here today to tell you that if you're discouraged and if you're down, that you can get out of that discouragement. You've got to learn how to encourage yourself. Encourage yourself. What we do is we focus on our problems. Oh, I've got this problem, and I've got that problem, and this happened to me, and that happened to me, and when it rains, it pours. And we focus on the negative, focus on the negative, focus on the negative. What did David do? He had all that negative we just laid out for you to focus on. But he chose rather to encourage or to strengthen himself in the Lord. How did he do it? He said, I'm not going to focus on my negative anymore. I'm going to focus on the goodness of God. I'm going to focus on the grace of God. I'm going to focus on all the wonderful blessings that God rains down on me all day. I can focus over here on the negative or I can focus over here on the positive. I can live in the valley of discouragement, let my men stone me, or I can pick myself up off the ground and I can focus on the goodness of God and I can move forward for the Lord. And I'm here today to tell you that if you are discouraged, don't live there any longer. Put your eyes on the good things that God has given you and encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself. The virtues David showed. Let me just say today that in order to leave discouragement behind, there is a level of character involved where you say, I'm not going to dwell on the negative. I'm going to put my eyes on the goodness of God and I'm going to dwell there instead. You gotta encourage yourself. Letter B, we see he inquired of heaven. You see, it's not good enough to just sit around and think about all the good things that God gives you. And you'll hear preaching along those lines. You'll hear it from this pulpit, and if you go elsewhere, you'll hear it all over the place. You need to focus on the good. But it's got to go beyond that. You see, David didn't just encourage himself in the Lord. David took action. Look at verse 7 with me. The Bible says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, being God, answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And so, uh, you might ask, well, what was an ephod? And I'll tell you this, uh, just to satisfy any curiosity, the ephod was part of the priestly garment that was wore, uh, that they wore. It involved a, uh, a plate that went across the chest that had twelve stones. And those stones all stood for different things, but the twelve stones ultimately represented the twelve tribes of Israel, and the priest wore that when he went in to talk to the Lord. And so we could parse words and we could try to define things and get into a deep, deep Bible study on ephod. But from a macro sense, what David was doing there was he was putting himself in a position to seek the Lord's face. And I'll make this application today to you and I. When you're in the valley of discouragement, prayer is the place you need to be. You encourage yourself in the Lord. You dwell on His goodness. You thank Him for the many good things He's put in your life. And then you pray. And you pray harder than you've ever prayed before. i got to say that in my Christian life, 
there has been this desire to say to the Lord during a tough time, well, I wasn't really talking to you that much when times were good, so I'm sure you don't want to hear from me right now while times are bad. Anybody here ever shared that sentiment? Can we be honest this morning? Can I tell you something? That's a lie from the devil. Even when you didn't communicate and when things were good, did you ever consider the fact that God maybe let that trial come in your life because He wants you to talk to Him? He's up there saying, I want your attention. Hey, things are good down there because I'm raining blessings down on you. I want your attention. And you're, man, this is great. I'm soaking this up. I'm having a great time. You wake up in the morning and things are good. You go to bed at night things are good and you don't need to talk to God. And God said, okay, that didn't work. Let me drop some problems down on you. Let me rain some discouragement in your life. And then you think to yourself, well, I didn't talk to God. Well, things were good, so I don't think He wants me to talk to Him now. Yes, He does. Listen, God wants you to communicate with Him because He loves you. He loves you. David got down on his knees. He got alone as the leader. You understand that before David could lead the army, his men, he first had to lead himself. He had to lead himself to a place of encouragement. And he had to lead himself to his prayer closet. He had to lead himself to interact with the Lord and talk to God in prayer. And I'm here today to tell you that if you're going through a time of discouragement, you need to be in your, you need to have your face in the presence of God more during that time than really any other time. And look, I'm for you praying all the time, but extra seeking the face of the Lord and asking Him, inquiring of God what to do. Letter C, we're talking about the virtues David showed. We see that he engaged the enemy. He engaged the enemy. Look, look down with me at, uh, well, before I give you, we're going to be in verses 16 and 17. Before I give you this, let me tell you the story there. And if you'd like to go back and read the chapter later on, your own, I would encourage you to do that. But what happened was David got up off his face after the Lord told him, you need to go after the enemy because I'm going to give you everything back. You've got to overtake them. I'm going to make sure you get everything back they took from you. David and his men, uh, through uh, the wisdom and guiding of the Lord, they went and found a man in the middle of the field. This man was about to die. And they took this man, they picked him up, and they fed him, and they nursed him back to health. And then they said to the man, after his Bible says his soul came or his spirit came back to him, they said to the man, do you know where the Amalekites went? Or where the enemy went? And he said, I do. He said, I got sick. And after three days of being sick, they just ditched me right here. They dropped me right here to die. He said, I will show you where they are if you promise not to turn me back over to them. And David said, it's a deal. You got it. And so that man, you can just see the providence of God, the hand of God, and all in this. I believe that man got sick because God struck him down with the sickness. And he was healed. And that man took David and his men up to where those people were. And that's where we find him in verse 16. The Bible says there, And when he, speaking of that man they had found... When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, speaking of the Amalekites, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Verse 17, And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. David 
enters there into that group of people and smites them and kills kills the enemies of God, kills the men who had taken his wives and his children, kills uh, the men who had ravaged their things, and 400 do get away, but he's able to gather all the loot that they had stolen. It became his prize. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who or what is your enemy? You say, I'm discouraged right now. Well, that's because there's an enemy that's brought you to the place of discouragement. Is it the Amalekites? It's not the Amalekites, is it? Can I give you some things I jotted down that are your enemy and are my enemy? The first one I wrote down is the word self. Self. You know what it's really easy to do when we have problems? Blame someone else. Well, if such and such hadn't said this to me, I wouldn't have responded the way I did. No, 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 no. You get to decide how you respond. It doesn't matter. You get to, you get to make that decision. Well, if this hadn't happened in my life, I'm, I'm just a product of my circumstances. I can't help it. No, no, no. You need to look yourself in the mirror and say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's a good day for you when you learn to quit blaming everyone else and everything else and you look yourself in the eyeball and say, I am my own worst enemy. And I hate the sin that's in my heart and I'm going to attack it all outright. I wrote down another word here, and that was the word sin. What or who is your enemy? What has you discouraged? Well, it's sin. It could be sin. Sin in your heart. Sin in the world around you. I wrote this one down as well. Selfishness of others. Selfishness of others. Sometimes we're going about our merry way, and we're living our life in a merry way, and we have done nothing wrong, but then there is sin in other people's hearts, and they do things that cause us to be discouraged. Let me just stop there and say that if you're married here this morning, your husband is not your enemy, ma'am. Stop attacking him. You say this morning, sir, that your wife is not your enemy. Stop attacking her. Those of you here that are parents that are having a hard time with your children, let me just encourage you that your children are not your enemy. Stop attacking them. Your employer is not your enemy. You say, are you sure? I I promise you, your employer is not your enemy. Those employees that work for you, they're not the enemy. You say, well, pastor, what is it that I'm to attack then? You're to attack sin. You're to attack sin in your heart. You're to fight that one the fiercest and the hardest. And then you're to help those around you fight the sin in their hearts. If you're fighting like cats and dogs as a husband and wife or in your home, it's just continual contention. First deal with the contention, the strife in your heart, and then turn around in a loving and kind and careful way. Help those around you. Engage the enemy. One more word I wrote down there as far as our enemy. And this really is the, uh, the, uh, the, the chief enemy. And that would be Satan himself. Satan. We're looking at David in a valley of discouragement, and we're looking at how he handled that, how he was able to leave discouragement behind. Will you say it out loud with me? Can you put the next, uh, or rather, uh, go back to where it's one, just one, two, and three there, if you could, Brother Matt. There we go. Say this out loud with me. Ready? Number one, the violence David faced. Number two, the vitriol David felt. Number three, together, the virtues David showed. Let me give you number four and lastly, the victories in David's future. The victories in David's future. Let's rewind the story if we could. Let's rewind the story 
to where David and his men are weeping over their losses. Now we have the scope of the whole story. We can see over here the beginning of the story where they're coming in and they're finding the city burnt. And we can go over here to the end of the story where David and his men win the battle and they get everything back and they get more back than they had lost. And we think, oh yeah, okay, David got the victory. But the problem with this is that over here when David was weeping, he couldn't see the future. He didn't know about the victories that were waiting for him. For all he knew, his wives were dead. He didn't know what they did to his wives. For all he knew, his wives had been violated. His children had been killed. They didn't know. How did David go from the lowest defeat in his life to some of the greatest victories in their life? David didn't stay down. Letter A, notice that he went from hurt to hope. From hurt to hope. Look with me down at verses 18, 19, and 20 of 1 Samuel 30. The Bible says, And David recovered, he recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had uh, taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. Picture this with me if you will in your mind's eye. David and his men are hiding, watching these men as they're dancing and rejoicing and, and, and just uh, having this big party. And David and his men are down below a bush. They're creeping and they're watching. And I picture David Rambo style going in and just mowing down these enemies. And then he goes and he rescues his two wives. Men, you ever have that idea of just being the Savior of your life? Boy, I bet those wives were very, very, very happy and loving on him after that. But David didn't just rescue his wives. They recovered every woman, every child, and every lost possession. And then they gained extra. But we see that not only in David's future at that low point was there hurt to hope. We see that he went from being, just a few chapters later, from a refugee to royalty. Turn over just a couple of chapters with me. 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Just should be a couple of chapters there to the right. In 2 Samuel chapter 1 we find uh, uh, Saul's death. In 2 Samuel 2 and 3, we see David being made king over a little town called Hebron in Israel. But then in chapter 5, he goes from being king of a little town in Israel to being king of the whole country. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And in times past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest us and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. Here David is living. Over here, David's living in a foreign country, enemy territory. His wives, his children... The children of his men, the wives of his men have been stolen. The men are weeping their eyes out. And he's at a lowest low. And five chapters later, we find David sitting on the throne, experiencing the greatest 
victory of his life. From the deepest depths to the highest highs. Let me give you two concluding thoughts this morning, if I could, to encourage you. These will be very practical points. Number one is this. If you quit in the valley, you'll stay in the valley. If you quit in the valley, you'll stay in the valley. And I could probably develop a whole sermon out of this, but I'll I'll use it here. Maybe someday, someday down the road I will. Life is all about valleys and mountaintops. How many agree with that statement? Let me, let me just explain this to you. A valley cannot be a valley unless there's a mountaintop on both sides. Right? And a mountaintop cannot be a mountaintop unless there are valleys on both sides. And so you go through life and you have the Lord, if you're saved, you have the Lord right by your side. And sometimes you're up here on the mountain and then you walk down into the valley. And you're there for a while. But you stay at it. And you walk right back up on top of the mountain. I've known a lot of Christians in my day. They get down in the valley. And life is just kicking them in the teeth. And they quit. They give up on God. If you quit in the valley, then you'll stay in the valley. My friends, don't Quit on God. You've got to be faithful to Him because He's always faithful to you. There are those sitting under the sound of my voice right now. You are very, very discouraged. Can I tell you today, you cannot quit in your discouragement. Number two, second concluding thought is this. When discouraged, follow David's example. When discouraged, follow David's example. And what was David's example? Focus on God's goodness. Pray for direction. Do what God leads you to do. Do what God leads you to do. Focus on the goodness of God. Some of you came in today and your problems are right smack dab in your face. All you can see is this problem and that problem and this problem and that problem. What I'm trying to do with this message today is I'm trying to push those problems away from your face a little bit and give you some perspective that there is some good awaiting you on the other side of that problem. Take your focus off the problems and put them on the goodness of God. And then after you've done that, get down on your knees and pray and make that relationship with God super, super, super sweet. And then, after you've done those two things, you do exactly what God leads you to do in that time of prayer. And you'll see yourself walk right out of the valley, right back up the mountain. The deeper the valley, the higher the mountaintop. The higher the mountaintop. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.